0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us today. We thank you that we can open your word and read it. We thank you that we have this cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And Lord, we have access to uh, the insights that they put down to paper. And Lord, as we study the catechism from the Second London Baptist Confession, Lord, we pray that we would remember uh, that this is something that has been valuable to the church for centuries, but Lord, that we would also remember that it is not uh, inspired Scripture, and that we would hold it up to Scripture, and and Lord, always be willing uh, to correct any false teaching with Your holy truth. We pray that You would be with us uh, and uh, give us a, a valuable and profitable time together this morning. And Lord, we thank You for Scott Eiler's presence with us and uh, the the friends that we've made uh, at this church that that will be friends for a lifetime. And uh, we just pray that you will uh, be with him as well. Whatever he's doing uh, up here, and Lord, that it would, uh, it would be a good time for him as well. We thank you in your holy name. Amen. So question three, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Now, I'm going to take this super broke thing and put it up so I have somewhere to write And when you read that, there's two categories there. What do you think of when you read those two categories?
1: Belief and practice.
0: Okay. Sounds like you can earn your way. Sounds to Sean like you can earn your way into heaven. Let's get together later and talk about that, Sean. <laughs> I mean, somebody might be able to, but you, can, you can't earn your way into heaven. Too late, man. Um, so, yeah, okay, so let that out a minute, though. Why, why does it sound like that?
2: What duty God requires of man? I mean,
0: up
2: so, like he's requiring us to do something besides, well, maybe the requirement is just have faith and believe. But.
0: Except if they were trying to say that... I'd think they would say, What duty God requires of man, colon, have faith and believe, right?
1: This is faith and works. That's what you're looking for. Okay, you're
0: saying, uh, maybe not. You're saying faith and works then? Belief and practice is essentially the same thing, right? I'm actually thinking of two different theological categories around which we would probably, or into which we would view the whole scriptures. I'm going to let you chew on it for a minute.
2: Well, you know, I'm almost thinking what man's belief concerning God has to do with justification, what duty God requires of man has to do with sanctification.
0: Well, what if we switch these two in the order, and, and they work either way, but what if we switched it into... Acts of God and
1: works of God. Is that what like? no. you're saying?
0: No. You're getting... That's a deep cut there,
1: actually.
0: <laughs> Acts of God and works of God. We'll get to that when we're talking about justification and sanctification. I think that Jonathan threw, a, yeah, threw you on me that down. rabbit trail.
1: <laughs>
0: and he's a And he's a, an elder in the church, for crying out Here I am
2: leading
0: people down the wrong path. You're twice the son of hell that he is now. <laughs> um, if we switch these, what if I said the first one's law,
2: oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: and the second one was... No, nah, we don't want to draw a law grace dichotomy. Gospel. Well, that's yes. okay. Law and gospel. Now, which one's which? Okay,
2: to you there. Yeah, say gospel's the first
0: one. Well, it's the, the, uh... What man is to believe concerning God, and then law is what God requires of man, and these things, properly understood, are really the key, I think, to Christian theology. When we read about rightly dividing the word of faith, law and gospel, uh, the the categories here are, and and, I mean, I'm just going to basically paraphrase the the catechism, what God requires of us. We can't do that. Yep, you're right there. And then (laughs) what God has done for us, and we would say in Christ because we're Christians and we know that's the way in which God has saved us. And the scriptures have to be rightly divided. You have to understand which category you're dealing with or you wind up with either super hardcore legalism or or worse softcore legalism like uh, you know that guy with the really bright teeth who writes all the books that don't say anything or you wind up with just so far off in left field that you're you know kind of making Aesop's fables out of the scripture and you're free to do whatever you want um, and the Bible doesn't even mean anything. So if I (laughs) asked you to take some verses from the Bible and uh, categorize them, you know, I'm a Calvinist, we like things delineated very clearly. Um, What if I asked you which of these two categories, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Address. Right, right, that's, that's gospel, right? Um, what about uh, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God? Law. Law, right? So um, that can't save you because the works of the law can't save you. So when someone presents that as gospel, which happens like all the time now, Uh, you can gently point out, no, that's the law. That's not the gospel. That's something that God requires of us. It's good, or God wouldn't require it of us, but it's not the gospel. Uh, What about, uh, well-going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Requires of us. Right, that's law, right? It's in the category of law. That can't save you either the gospel that you're proclaiming will save people, but you you will not be saved through that. Um, what about while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? That's the gospel. So you you can, uh, my point is that even within the New Testament, even within these uh, epistles of the gospel, so you, you're going to find law and gospel. And, and both categories are important. And I think what, what, uh, kind of tripped Sean up for a minute and made him doubt the nearly inerrant divines, <laughs> was that they put uh, gospel first and then the law. Um, but actually, if you believe in Jesus, you're almost looking at kind of a law gospel sandwich and the law is the bread. Now, here's what I mean. Uh, according to Luther, there are three uses of the law. And this guy knows the law. This is, We're talking about a guy who was so just in his spirit uh, burdened by God's law that he would stay up for days at a time, praying, fighting with the devil in his little monastery cell, scrubbing his section of floor until you could literally see, you know, he could look down and see how ugly he was in the, in the I mean, he wasn't a good looking guy. You know, he? Um, so there's three uses of the law. The first one is the basic civil use of the law, right? This is the use that keeps you guys from doing all the evil that you could. I mean, Richard probably would have killed four people this week, but for the fact that it's illegal. So the, the magistrate, the, the common grace provides for us some structure in almost, I mean, even in corrupt places, there is some aspect of law that holds us back, and it's a grace to us, truly, um, that man, I really want that guy's stereo, but I also don't want to go to jail. And so it holds people back, even not from within, but from without. Uh, And of course, the ultimate use of this we would see in Israel, where it's a theocracy and God's law kind of codifies God's uh, character for the people and helps them to see uh, God's people. So that's uh, the first use. The second use is the one that Paul is talking about when he says the law is a schoolmaster or a tutor I like schoolmaster better, because when I think tutor, I think of like a friendly you know, young lady carrying books to somebody's house and saying, OK, we're going to go over math today, right? Like, very nice. Um, what Paul is thinking of is somebody more like the, the person with the ruler whacking you on the knuckles. Like, again, we need to go through the times tables. How do you not know these? Um, and, and in that way, the law shows us, like Sean said, how we cannot do what God has commanded. And you go, wait a minute, that's not fair, right? How is God going if, to... If I went home and said to my son, Calvin, I want you to... Oh, I don't know, what's something absurd? Um, clean out the chimney today, or you're going to be grounded. And, and he tried, and he was all full of soot. And he was like, Mista, I can't do it. And I was like, all right, you're grounded. No allowance, no TV. That wouldn't be all right? Right. Why? Because he can't do it. But when God has a goal in mind, then it is just and it is loving for him to show us our inability to become righteous of our own merit, of our own work. um, And how every other religion, all of man's religion, is all about trying to do just that use the law, whether the kind of generic law that's been written on our hearts, that's been kind of fractured by the fall, or some man-made written law to try and become, or or even God's law, to try and become righteous. And in doing that, it shows us that we, this is what we're going to talk about tonight at our, our men's study, how completely poor we are in spirit, how we bring nothing to the table but sin guilt, shame, and we're like, uh, can this get me anything, right? When you, when you only win like 13 tickets at the arcade and you're like, <laughs> what can I get? Oh, one of those like poppy suction cup things that works twice. Okay, I guess I'll take that. And, and we bring that to the table. And because the, the second use, the primary use of the law is to show us how sinful we are, We bring that and God says, oh, you know what? We're having a special, this is flippant and and about holy things, but in which you give me your shame and your guilt and all your sin and in exchange I give you the righteousness of Christ. So he bears your sin on the cross. It's imputed into him, meaning like injected into him so that it is his. And then he gives you, in exchange, his righteousness and it's imputed into you. So well, I'm not going to get ahead of ourselves talking about what justified means, but that's the second use of the law. You've probably been there if you are saved, right? Where you came to a realization, I can't be good enough, and you understand what the scriptures mean. It says your most righteous, uh, your most righteous deeds are like filthy rags in God's sight. Because even when I do something good, it's tainted with my own pride and my own uh, self-serving motives, and we recognize that what, what Paul was saying when he said, I used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was, I was more religious than anyone reading this letter. And I thought I was building basically a stairway of jewels right up into God's presence. And I was going to get up there and be like, look at all this gold. And now I look back at it and see that it is, starts with S-K, which is, yeah, a Greek word for poop. Um, so that's, that's the second use. And it's so very important and when you try and preach the gospel without the law, it falls flat. It's like walking up to someone on the street with a vial or a syringe and saying, look, I have, I have here the uh, vaccine or the, the cure for, and just naming some disease. And they're like, yeah, I don't care. You're weird. Get away from me with that syringe. But if they are convinced they have that disease, because they do and they're dying of it, and a doctor says, good news, I have the cure, it hits them entirely different. So yeah, the the second use of the law is very important. Third use of the law, this one I would say it's a ruler whacking your knuckles, right? Ruler on the knuckles. The third use, knuckles, is ruler as a yardstick, right? The golden rule we often think of as Oh, it's a rule, like when you're in elementary school and the first day they write the 10 rules of the classroom on the wall and you're like, yeah, same as last year, no one's gonna keep them. Um, and then if you break one, you get in trouble, right? That's how a rule generally works. That's actually not what the golden rule means. The rule here is a ruler. If you go back to the first few uses of this term and and it's a ruler which measures Measures how we are doing. Now, when it's the second use of the law, the ruler shows you you don't measure up, and you go, I, I, I need something else other than my own progress because it's nil, and and it drives you to the foot of the cross where you find Christ. The third use is for Christians to help us see. Our progress. First of all, you know, like you take a kid and have him standing against the wall and you mark it every couple of months and then you can look back and see how he's grown. That's the third use of the law. And it gives you something to shoot for. It shows you what should the life of a Christian look like. What does the heart of a Christian, someone seeking Christ, look like when it's lived out? And so we look to Jesus in his life. We look to um, the moral law. And, of course, we don't look to the ceremonial law. This is stuff we'll probably get into later. But, you know, the, we, we all, as we read the Old Testament, recognize, even if instinctively, that some of this stuff doesn't apply to us uh, now. Um, nobody brought a goat to sacrifice. Nobody's worried that if we looked at the tag of their shirt, it would be more than one kind of material together. Um, so the third use is the, the moral law, and that includes even, you know, the, the passages of the New Testament that tell us how to live. It's not there to show you you don't measure up, make you feel bad, and whack you on the knuckles. As a Christian, now that, that, the, whole, the Holy Spirit within you may convict you of sin, and you feel that for it sting for a minute, but the purpose of the law, the third use of the law for the Christian is that we will say, this is where I'm headed. And as we grow in our faith, we'll see that progress. And it's a positive thing. And so when we say, Um, I mean this is for everybody Christian or non-Christian this is for primarily the non-Christian right who's coming to faith who's being convicted of their sin and this is for the believer and so when we say the gospel comes here after you've seen your um, well that you are a wretched sinner and then you receive the gospel and you are born again and then you continue to read and benefit from the law, because it helps in that way. <clears throat> so that's why I think with this one in view primarily because this is for teaching Christians, they start with the gospel and the answer to question, what are we on, three?
2: Yeah.
0: And then we go to the law. But you could do it the other way as well. And then you'd be thinking of the second use of the law. Does that all make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thoughts on that? Have you, I mean, I've been spouting this for more than a decade here, but Sometimes it's easy to forget uh, when, when you read the New Testament. I said, I, I opened it up to you and then I'm going to say one more thing. When you read the New Testament uh, on this side of the cross, you will see the pattern again and again of indicative, therefore imperative. What's an indicative? It's a statement that tells you it indicates something that is. So it will say, for example, Christ died on the cross for us. It will tell you what God has done for you on your behalf in Jesus Christ. It always starts with that. Then you'll see this word, therefore, and the corny little thing that preachers always remind you when therefore pops up in scripture. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, it's therefore to remind you of what came before. So the indicative, what Jesus did for you, therefore, what you ought to do, the imperative is a command. So what Jesus did, therefore, what you should do gospel therefore law. And that's how you got to read the New Testament. Don't don't try to read it backwards. Oh, in order to get into God's good graces and in order, in order to be acceptable to him, I have to do all this stuff that that you know, laid out in the second half of these epistles. No, God has already won my salvation. Therefore, I want my whole life to be one big thank you to him, and I ought to be seeing progress in in my sanctification Therefore, I will live like this. Uh, Does that make sense as well? So so remember that when you're reading the New Testament, you're always going to see, especially um, in these longer uh, kind of treatise-like epistles of Paul, you're always going to see indicative description of what God has done for us, gospel. Therefore, imperative. What we should therefore do. um, In fact, we could use their language as well. um, What we are to believe concerning God what he has done for us, therefore, what duty God requires of man. And that's, in, in a nutshell, what the scriptures contain, the law and the gospel. That's the answer given by the catechism.
1: Beth? I was thinking this morning, sometimes when you're climbing the mountain, all you see is the mountain, that you have to stop and turn around to see where you've been. Okay. And I think that helps on that that last one, the ruler, to see that you have indeed become more Mm Christ-like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Especially because it can seem like you're not making progress if you're always contending with sin. But the fact that you're always contending with sin is the proof that you're making progress. The question is, is it the same sins as five years ago? And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of... Stuck here going, oh sin, go on sinning that grace may abound. Or do I feel like I'm dealing with more sin because I've become more Christ-like. And now something that would have not bothered me at all earlier in my sanctification, it really gets to me my heart and makes me, you know, I'm convicted of it. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, looking back is good and seeing where you've been and what where Christ has taken you. Absolutely. All right, let's take this thing apart then in true bounded set fashion. Um, the scripture principally teaches what man is to believe. Uh, what do we mean by the word believe here? The word is used at least two different ways in the scripture.
1: Well, I think that in the case of Christianity, you have to believe in um, some historical... Okay. About Christ's life and death and resurrection. So you would have to intellectually assent. I believe that this happened. So that might be one part of it.
0: Okay. intellectual assent? And note that you said that's one part of it, um, because even the demons do that right. and shudder. And no one's saying. No one here's saying you're a demon. Why bring it up? Even right.
2: <laughs> it's, a, it's a belief that um, leads to faith so, it's, so I, mean, I, I mean I think it's it's got to be tied to, to, to faith because otherwise you're in the same category like you say as the demons if you just intellectually you know say yeah you don't believe in God or whatever that's not, that's not a belief that leads to God. um
0: Now, this is the word pistis for faith in the New Testament. It's also the word for belief. So So you really have to kind of suss out what you mean. And like any word, it has a semantic domain, right? I mean, um, this word pistis has different meanings within what it means. And so you're talking about two different meanings. Points within that semantic domain. I think you have to define belief and faith better than. Um, and when I say what does it mean to believe, you've both used the word believe in your in your answer. It's hard not to. Um, but intellectual assent, I think, is is one element of it. And when you say it leads to faith, what exactly do you mean?
2: I mean, it, it's got to be beyond the, the idea of uh, just believing that God exists, or believing that things historically happened, it's its, it's putting a, a, a trust and, and faith in God for uh, in, and believing in, in the uh, substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf, or for our salvation, I mean, that's an element of it, but uh, if there's um, and, and that we're incapable on our own of of salvation. It is, it's it's
0: 100 percent God. So you're getting now into the content of what we should believe. There's a, a old old sermon illustration um, about a guy who set up a wire across uh, Niagara Falls, and he went back and forth on the wire and as he was doing it, don't stop me if you've heard it because you've all heard it. Uh, as he was doing it he kind of drew a crowd right and they were all wow this is amazing Then he went across with a wheelbarrow like a little notch in the in the wheel so that it went on the cable and he went across. Then he filled the thing up with rocks and all sorts of heavy stuff and he went back three or four times he's going back and forth and people are they're no less wild than the first time because you know underneath them if he were to fall, That's it, Charlie. You're done, right? His name is Charlie. And um, so he gets back to the side where the biggest portion of the crowd is. And he says, who thinks I could go across with a person in the wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, well, yeah, we've just seen you. You know, carrying all sorts of... And he said, okay, who's willing to get in? And every hand goes back down. Perhaps that's the difference between the intellectual ascent and the kind of biblical faith that trusts, that says... I'll get in the wheelbarrow and trust you. Not just I believe in my head you could probably do that, but I'm going to bet it all that you can by getting into the wheelbarrow. Uh, That's a a little corny, but I think it it gets close to what you guys are talking about. (coughs) I mean, a very wooden and basic level, a definition of believe is to believe is to assent or give credit to truths because of the authority of another. Um, the, the trust there is in the authority uh, that gives you these things to believe, that, that uh, you're going to have to put yourself at the mercy kind of of the scriptures and say what they say. That's, I'm going to bet it all on that and trust that it's not going to you know, have me at the bottom of Niagara Falls. Uh, faith you know, it's not a blind leap, certainly. If it's a blind leap, then you've uh, probably leapt in the wrong direction, be blind. But there's, there's some danger to it. There's some risk to it. And I think maybe that's why the world, especially right now, doesn't seem to like it very much, unless it's risk-free, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a person of faith. I have this very small little cordoned-off section in my life where maybe I pray sometimes, or maybe I read some sacred texts or maybe I ponder the hugeness of the universe and meditate. Well, yeah, okay. It's, you can do that on one side of Niagara Falls. That's not the kind of faith that scripture is talking about. Um, who will look up for me John three thirty three? And someone else, 2 Timothy 1, 3. I bet I can get there first because I'm right in the neighborhood. There I am. 333, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Or I think the King James says, he that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. Certified, set a seal, using a signet ring. Yes, he also says set a seal. Yeah. So to, to set your seal, this is like beyond to vouch for somebody. Margaret, like when you were in the mafia, um, oh,
1: yeah. you,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Richard's away. Uh, we. You vouch for somebody, yep. and, and if they mess up, it's like you messed up, right? Yep. And then somebody like Alex shows up at your door, and you're like, "Oh no!" Right? <laughs> so th- this is beyond that. My seal, my signet ring—I've—I've—I've I've, I've put my seal that this indeed, this testimony is true. If it's not, I'm also guilty of perjury. I'm also going to pay the consequences. I'm—I'm I'm essentially and this is a Baptist church, so I don't say this lightly, betting at all that, that this testimony is true, that these things are true. Second um, Timothy 1.13, did anyone else get there? What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound doctrine with faith and love in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's words to Timothy. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Or, uh, I think the ESV says, uh, I know the ESV says it in front of me, I didn't memorize it. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have received from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's a pattern for us to follow, Not, not just... Um, something to which we would assent uh, with our intellect, with our, with our mind. Um, a lot of times people will say, yeah, I think that's true. But when it's time to back it up, they're suddenly a lot less sure. Biblical faith, it, first of all, it's not um, intransitive. Another dorky grammar word. Transitive and intransitive verbs. You remember this from, from English class, right, somebody? A, a transitive verb has to have an object, right? For example, throw. Richard, throw. He's going to say, what? Throw what? Or if he's just annoyed with it, he's going to throw something heavy at me. Right? You have to th- say, throw me that ball. Throw me that puppy or something. Don't do that. But <laughs> that's, that's transitive. Intransitive, you can do that without, you know, Dance. Well, okay, I'll just dance. I mean, lucky lane, whatever. Yeah, these are things that don't require faith. Today is often seen as intransitive. That's why you see these annoying like signs with the like flowery writing that just say "believe." Right. Believe what? Mm-hmm. Believe in aliens. Well I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I don't know. Believe, <laughs> believe whatever you want. Just believe something, and it's almost seen as if God will honor your level of belief whatever you believe in, just so long as that's good belief, like the quality of the belief. Whereas when we're dealing with, you know, being in a a wheelbarrow over the the falls, what matters is not the quality of my belief. It matters what I have, the, the object of my belief, what I have put my belief in, what I'm trusting in. So if I believe really, 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 really strongly that, Richard could take me across Niagara Falls in a wheelbarrow. We're both gonna die, even though my belief is strong. If I believe, I'm eh, pretty sure, and I just get in with the guy that actually can do it, I'm safe. So it's about the the worthiness of the object of faith, not about the worthiness of the belief itself.
2: I would on a related note. The same can be said said, and you see it all over too, is people talk about have faith. And it's like, again, what's the object of the faith? Because in a lot of cases, when they're saying have faith, it's like have faith in yourself or have faith in whatever. Or have faith, things will turn out. Right? So, so, I mean, yeah, there's going to be object to the faith, there's going to be object to the belief. It's going to be the right object. And not not like, oh, I have faith in myself that I can overcome whatever Obstacle or whatever. I mean, that that's not the faith that the scriptures is talking about. Sure. But there's something in it about the reward, though, isn't there? If I have faith in God, I'm rewarded with eternal life with Him. If the guy had said, "Who will take a million dollars to ride in the wheelbarrow?" He might have got some takers. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe that even makes the whole thing a better uh, illustration. Um, because there's something to be lost, but there's something to be gained now. Um, although, I don't know.
2: Well, I wouldn't have been a taker, but somebody, <laughs> I'm sure somebody would have
0: a 1000000 I'm that. a strong swimmer, but I don't like heights, so it's yeah. kind of a wash. Yeah. Um, anybody have any other thoughts on, on what separates biblical faith from cultural ideas of,
1: eh, believe,
0: just believe? Yeah, Jonathan, you're right. That just have faith is probably um, entered cliché status. And when I hear it, I think, okay, you're you're getting somewhere. But faith, have faith again is transitive. You have to have faith in what?
1: Well, I think that to go back to the question, you know, we have something that we can point to as proof of our faith: the scriptures. You know, we can we can actually point to the scriptures and point to you know, Christ is deity and different things like that, and we can prove it and we have a uh, we have a system of belief. Or isn't just believe and faith and this thing that the world would sell, they don't have anything to point to. Reasons why. Why believe, mm-hmm. why care, why this. And I think that's really a lot of Paul's logic is is, you know, well if Christ isn't risen then there's no reason to do anything. Eat, drink, tomorrow we die. You know, give up because because this has to be everything, and we have to be able to point back to that. So I think as Christians, we have the Scripture, right? We have this thing, what do the Scriptures principally teach? We point back to that. So I think that I think that's another thing that separates our belief from the world's belief.
0: Yeah, and today, I think that's the main thing. Um, Ligonier came out with these really depressing stats last week. Did you see this? Uh, 60% of professing Christians help me with the language, said that uh, religious faith is primarily about
1: It is not based in objective truth.
0: It's not based in objective truth, but in kind of personal preference. 60% of Christians said, well, yeah. Uh, And that's scary. Now, I posted that and then a friend of mine, who many of you know, said, hold on, wait a minute. Isn't that because that kind of makes sense because everybody has, you know, objective reality. And then you have all these different interpretations of reality that make up different religions and faiths or non-faith or whatever. And I said, yeah, you're right. But Christianity is unique in that our claims are not just, this is the nature of reality. Try it out. Or um, this is a private way that you can benefit from some ethereal truth claim. Rather, we say this is rooted in a man who walked the earth, died. Why is it that the the creed says under Pontius Pilate? So that it can put it in a particular historical moment. Right, the, the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed mention, they mention him. They don't even mention Peter because this places it in time and place. This makes it not, you know, I mean, there, there are, for example, you read the Bhagavad Gita, um, Krishna, and and, uh, we're dealing with a a God that is, in some sense, incarnate and teaching truths about um, the nature of reality and what's valuable on the eve of a big battle where you might die. And it's, in a sense, kind of rooted in a supposedly historical conversation but it's not in any way viewed in the Hindu faith as being rooted in history. Uh, It's it's just ideas. It's just ideas that might be helpful. It's just um, principles that might be comforting. It's just something that might give you some tranquility. But Paul is willing to say, no, no, if this one thing didn't happen, not only is our faith useless and we're still in our sins, which means we're all still doomed, but we should be pitied above all people. Have you ever heard somebody go on and on about Scientology and been like, how do you even, what? You should be way more pitied than that if Christ isn't raised, right? If Christ was not raised. So you're right, yeah, it being rooted in history, I think it always has been, but I think right now, this is something we have to just hammer away at because the world's view of religion is that religious truth claims are of an entirely different uh, material. They're t- totally different category from, say, a historical truth claim or a geographic truth claim. Or a sci- yeah, especially, or a scientific truth claim. Yeah, if you, you, you know, This is true, true, but this is true for me. And who are you to say that it's not? And who am I to say that your religious truth isn't true for you? In fact, that must be hateful and awful and maybe we should outlaw it, et cetera, et cetera. Scott, you look like you were going to say something brilliant back there.
1: Uh-huh, from you. All right.
0: Let me. I think I have a minute to do this. I want to read um, a couple of questions from a catechism on the catechism. There are multiple catechisms on the catechism. It, uh, yo, dog. I heard you like catechisms, so I catechism. <laughs> that's not an old reference. Um, Second like conception. Right? As
1: old as the word stereo, which you used earlier. Did <laughs> I really? Yeah, but. Somebody's high <laughs> five
0: <laughs> Oh, boy <laughs> yeah anybody want to by the way I had an old timey sermon or illustration for this and it was on my old timey Palm pilot which I left at home so whatever deep down I'm older than you Richard whatever you are I'm one year older I don't care it's awesome um, so actually this is from two different catechisms on the catechism this is this is Definitely inception level stuff. First question says Are Christians to believe nothing as a point of faith but what the scriptures teach? Answer No, because no other book in the world is of divine authority but the scriptures, and therefore not absolutely infallible. Um, Another catechism on the catechism answers almost the exact same question by saying, No, because the scripture is the only book in the world of divine authority, and the revealed will and command of God therein being so exceedingly broad, nothing is incumbent on us to believe and do but what is either directly or consequentially prescribed in it.
1: I don't like that broad.
0: Well, I think what they mean is that it covers such a wide variety of topics that just about anything... Any answer you could be seeking, you would find in the scriptures.
1: Oh, okay. So it's saying that anything that's not the scriptures, you shouldn't or there's no reason to take on faith. Is that what it's saying?
0: Well, the first answer just says no. Nothing else is infallible, so no. The second one says nothing is incumbent on us to believe and do. There's no other requirement for you as a Christian outside of the Bible.
2: So, there, I, I, I think a good example of that would be, say, the Gnostics, which would say, you know, hey, you know, in addition to whatever this faith in, in, in the given word, you know, the Holy Spirit will lead you to the higher spiritual levels that are not contained in Scripture level. And, and, and a lot of these. Modern, uh, modern false religions kind of stem from it, from that Gnostic uh, line that we can achieve some kind of a higher spiritual understanding or whatever beyond what's script- is taught in Scripture. You know, and they like claim, well, it's the Holy Spirit that's given it to us, and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of people kind of make that mistake, even without, you know, they, well, you know, the Holy Spirit gave me this or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but is, is it an agreement with Scripture, like Paul talked about? Uh, if it's not an agreement with Scripture, then reject it, you know, even if it came from an angel. And so, um, so, so I mean, that that's kind of a... Yeah, so, so, yeah, I would agree with those based on the, you know, because those kinds of heresies have been around since the time the Scripture was written
0: they were dealing with that in the first century okay any other thoughts on this? I mean anybody not like those answers think they seem a little bit
1: I think that it could be misunderstood that they're saying that you shouldn't believe anything that's not in scripture mm-hmm. but what they're saying is that you shouldn't take it on faith that you you might use reason and evidence to believe something that's not found in scripture but you wouldn't just believe it because, it's, because somebody told you to
0: right yeah, yeah. So when someone says, well, I'm not going to go vote on Tuesday because it doesn't say so in the Bible. Well, hold on. Again, the, the Bible is so exceedingly broad that we can draw principles from it about what it means to be a, a faithful citizen of, you know, seeking the good of the city where we are now in exile because in its welfare is our welfare. And there's many other scriptures where we can you can start to draw out, you know, what life looks like and it's different here or here or here but all based on the scriptures Um, I I think that we want to recognize the broadness of God's word and and the fact that there is so much packed in there and that you can read the same book ten times and get closer to that authorial intent but have ten different applications because you are in ten different situations and you're ten different people when you read it, You're, you are changing. The text is changing you, and therefore you understand the text better, ideally. And 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 it's a, a cycle. It's a, a beautiful cycle uh, going around the ground. Um, Ecclesiastes 2.13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Uh, and at the end of the day, fearing God, believing the gospel, and uh, trying to therefore live in light of what God's Word teaches is our our duty. Now, what does it look like? That's gonna depend on what your calling is. It's gonna depend on where and when you live. It's gonna depend on all sorts of other different things. But ultimately, we don't need anything else other than God's Word. And that answer, I think, uh, protects us against any number of kind of cultic claims. Oh yeah, God's Word is good, but you gotta also have this one. uh, we're probably about out of time. Okay, so I want to uh, talk next week about the word principally. That'll bring you back. We've talked about what it means to believe. We're going to talk about what the word principally means. <laughs> and I will have an old-timey sermon illustration to start things off with, so, so come back for that, too. And uh, let's go to the Lord of Prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, and in it the law and the gospel. We especially thank you that the law was to us a schoolmaster, uh, Lord, not an instruction book on how we can become holy enough to enter into your presence, but rather an uppercut to our gut and a shove in the direction of the foot of the cross where we, on our face, knowing we cannot earn your love, receive salvation. And, and newness of life and and are able to exchange our sins for Christ's righteousness. We're so thankful for that law and we delight in it. And Lord, as those who are born again and bought with the blood of Jesus, we pray that we would look to every imperative in the scriptures and, and want to see ourselves more and more uh, in the, the heart of Jesus and in the commands of, of Jesus and the apostles, Lord, that we would want our lives to reflect the heart of Christ, and we pray, Lord, that we would remember there is no other infallible book. Uh, that we are incumbent—that uh, is incumbent upon us to to believe and to follow and to and to uh, enact. That that Lord, we can study these scriptures our whole lives, and more and more be drawn into Your presence, and more and more understand the mind of God and the heart of God. And Lord, we pray that we would always hunger and thirst after these things and, and never think that we've, we've arrived and never become bored with them or tired of them. That Lord, this would be our, our life's work, would be seeking your face wherever we are in any moment. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.